as we kind of wrap it up this morning, as we kind of come to, to, a, to a conclusion in, the, uh, in this series, uh, what we've been doing is kind of looking, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, the first, uh, first and second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and where we're going today, one of the things that a question that, um, that I just kept thinking about whenever I was uh, preparing this, this particular passage uh, for, for, for this morning, um, and it was pretty interesting, like the, the, the question was, was this, and, and I wanted to kind of pitch it to you guys and let y'all, um, let y'all dwell on it a little bit, but the question is, what would it take um, for you to get to a place in your life where you are... Uh, where you're satisfied um, and, and peaceful to a point where you're ready to die. I know that's a, like a, that's a kind of a confronting question, but I think everything that we do in our life, is, 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 it, it kind of revolves around that question. Like, what, at what point, what would it take for you to say, okay, God, you can, you can have me now. Everything that I ever wanted to accomplish, everything that I ever wanted to, any goal that I wanted to reach, any mark that I wanted to leave in this world, I, it's done, and, and I'm, ready, I'm ready for you to take me. Uh, are you there today? Um, I, I figure most of the time if I were to ask that question, people would say, no, I'm not ready. I don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. I feel like there's, there's more for me to do. Like, I, feel like, um, I feel like my retirement is not exactly where I want it right now. So I'm going to keep working some more to kind of get to a place where then, then I'll be satisfied. Things will be, I'll be at peace if my retirement gets to a certain place. Or, or I'm still raising kids, and so right now for us, we have most of our kids in college and high school. And so there's still work for Ashley and I to do to, 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 before we feel like we're satisfied, where we're, we're at peace and like, God, you can take us. Uh, for some of you, it might be like your career. Uh, what you do from day to day, that you like, you know what, I want to I leave a mark uh, on what I do. Uh, I want to leave an influence that's, that's lasting, a, a lasting mark in my, in my career. I want to be the best whatever I am uh, so that uh, 50, 100 years from now that there are, um, there are still s- stories about what I accomplished. There are uh, halls in a school building that are named after me. There are halls in a hospital that are named after me because of the mark that I left. Maybe that's you. You want to try to get to that place. And so that's the big question. Like, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to get to that place where you're satisfied and you're at peace and you can say, God, I'm yours. Take me. Uh, today we, we're going to meet uh, this guy in our passage who I feel like is deeply satisfied and who is deeply at peace to a point where he would resign himself to God and say, Lord, now I can die. Like I've reached this place in my life to where uh, um, I, I'm at peace. I'm satisfied. God, you can't do anything else that would satisfy me more. Take me. And resigns himself to God. And so during this Advent season, we've been, we've been looking at these redemption songs, is what we've called them. There are, there are these redemption Christmas songs uh, in, in the opening of the Gospel of Luke as he records it. And our heart and our hope has been for this series as we've walked through this is that hearing the good news and experiencing the, the, the presence of Jesus is an occasion for praise. It's an occasion for worship. 
And that's what we see is these redemption songs. We, we saw uh, Mary's response in Luke chapter 1. Upon hearing the good news about Jesus and what God was fixing to do, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Like that's the proper response when you hear good news is to, to praise God. Zachariah's response, we looked at that on week two, and that was in verses 68 and 69 when he heard the good news of Jesus, like God was fulfilling his purpose after thousands of years of, of wondering if God was really going to come through like he said he was. When Upon Zechariah hearing the good news that God was in fact coming through on his promise, he would say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and has redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. On the night that Jesus was, was to be born, the angels would show up to the shepherds. And their response was they had good news to bring to the shepherds. And when they arrived, they said, don't, don't have any fear. God's doing something great. And then when they would make this announcement, they would do it like this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And today we're going to be looking at the last of these Christmas songs, these redemption songs in the Gospel of Luke. And this is Simeon's song. And here's what's happened up to this point, just to kind of give us some, some context and some background for what's going on so far. Jesus uh, was born to Mary and Joseph at this point. Uh, the shepherds came and glorified God after receiving this good news that the angels met them in the field and, and, and pronounced to them uh, this good news that Jesus was born. Joseph and Mary would do a few customary things, like on the eighth day they would, they would have their firstborn son circumcised, and then, and then they would bring him to the temple like good Jewish parents would do to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. And so they're eight days into parenting. They're, they're eight days into this, and so far they're doing everything right. They're doing a really, really good job. They bring a sacrifice to the Lord because that's what God required, and their heart was to be obedient they wanted to please the Lord, and this is what the Lord had, had asked of his people. And so they bring their, their, their little one, and they bring, they bring a sacrifice on the eighth day to the Lord, and they show up at the front doors of the temple. And much like you showed up here today, just kind of coming into the front door, and before they could reach the check-in station, or before they could reach the, the, the coffee or, or the water, before they could reach any of that, this old guy greeting, greeting them at the door scoops up their baby. And as he scoops him up, he just begins singing a song of spontaneous praise to God. And we pick that story up in chapter 2, verse 25, if you want to follow along with me there. It says, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. You see that just that advent, he's waiting. He's in this, this, this posture of waiting for, for God to come through on his promise. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So these past few months in the life of Joseph and Mary have been a whirlwind. 
It's been, it's been wild for them at this point. So I'm sure by the time they reach the temple and this guy grabs up their baby and starts singing a song, they're just like, man, whatever. I don't even know what else is happening. I don't even know, like, so many crazy things have happened to us in this last year that I'm just not even surprised anymore. This is what's going on to him. But who is this old guy? Who is this old guy who just grabs up their baby and starts spontaneously singing praises to God? What would you do if you came in this room this morning and someone did that, just grabbed up your baby like, okay, hold on, who is this guy? Right? That's the first thing you want to know. Who, does he know us? Is he crazy? I need some help, you know? And so we learn from the Scriptures that Simeon, Scriptures say he is a devout and he's a righteous man. He is from Jerusalem. And the most important thing that I pick up in that passage is it says that he was led by the Holy Spirit. So it's implied that Simeon is most likely an older man. Although the scriptures doesn't tell us exactly that he's an older man, it's implied here that he is at a point where he is ready to resign himself to God. He's not a high priest. He's not clergy. He's not a pastor. He's, he's not some Bible study leader of any sorts. He's just an older guy who loves God. Just a regular guy who is madly in love with God. And, and just by default... Uh, people who are, uh, who are up in age, who, who have, um, they, they've experienced a lot in their life, just by default. If you've lived a long time, you've experienced a lot of things, more so than someone who hasn't lived a long time. And there's something in, inspiring about a meaningful conversation that you have, you just sitting with an, with an older person and just having conversations with them who've lived a long time. There's a lot, lot to discuss, a lot of things that's, that's interesting to hear. And, and this year I turned uh, 41 years old. So I hardly fall into the category of older people. Say amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that affirmation. Um, but I appreciate older people a lot. I really do. I appreciate uh, those who've lived a long time. They, they've been through life. Um, it seems like people who've lived a long time, who've been through a lot of life, they don't have as much stuff to worry about as I do. Like, I don't, I don't get from people who've lived a long time that they just are they're piled up with worry and anxiety about a lot of things. Of course, they worry about some things, but they, they don't worry about as many things as I do, I think. And they've lived long enough, I believe, that, that, that they've they figured out what's worth worrying about and what's, what's not worth worrying about. So I feel like just age in general, by default, you learn that kind of life. This is the, these are the things that, that matter. These are the things that I'll worry about. I don't worry about any of those other things. And at the same time, there's this huge difference, difference between a person who's lived a long time, an older person, um, and a wise sage, someone who's wise, an older person who's, who's gained wisdom. And, and, and I get the impression from studying this passage uh, that Simeon, he's not just an older man who's lived a long time and has experienced a lot, but he's someone who has gained wisdom from from his life experiences, and that's the difference. You can be old. You can have lived a long time and experienced a lot of things, but you're not wise until you've gained some wisdom about the experiences that you've been through, right? And so I feel like that's, that's what we're getting from Simeon here, and I can confidently say this because he is preoccupied with things that matter. Like the things that matter most is what has his attention. And so let's Look at how his song begins. His intro to his song says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He knows that Jesus is our peace. Jesus, like that, that's what he knows. Simeon blesses God and he praises God and, and now he can die a satisfying death 
because he's at peace. This is the proper reaction to the arrival of Jesus. This is what Jesus brings. This is who he is. He's peace. Peace and conflict. Peace and conflict. These things are always at war with one another, and they've been a mega theme in Scripture from, its, from the very uh, beginning. Thousands of years of documented history is littered with this peace and conflict narrative. You read all throughout Scripture, that's what's going on, this peace and conflict. And it even continues now. Like today, we still experience this. It's going on in our lives right now, and there's always this war between peace and conflict always going on in our lives. And probably more than any other important date on the calendar, any important season on the calendar, any time of year, it's appropriate today that this coming week we reflect on the reality that God is the God of peace. That through Jesus Christ, that Jesus comes, He comes with peace. God sent His Son, who is called the Prince of Peace. And through Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit as a gift of continuing peace in our lives as we walk and follow Jesus. Every single one of us, I don't care where you come from, I don't care if I've never met you in your life, if you're here today, if you're within an earshot, I'm telling you, we all long for peace. We are all in this longing for peace right now. That there's constantly this, this conflict, this war between conflict and peace, maybe internally, maybe in the surroundings around us, in our world. And all of us are longing for this kind of this, this peace. In the intro to Simeon's song, it serves as this the reminder to us that, hey, Jesus is the source of this peace. Simeon was not at peace. He was not ready to resign himself to death until he came face to face with Jesus. That's where he met true peace. And he says, this is what I was longing for. And God, you've given that to me. You've given me a gift in Jesus. And peace from Jesus can take on many forms. And I'll say ultimately, it takes on this, this saving peace, this peace of, of salvation. This, this where I'm at war with God apart from Jesus Christ. And, and because of the coming Messiah, the one who would come and give his life to reconcile us to God, I am now being brought into peace in a peaceful relationship with God. We're at peace now because of Jesus. That's ultimately what he brings to us. But he also brings this ongoing inner peace as we walk with him. Because, see, we continue to, to be confronted with turmoil and strife in our lives. And, and so our hearts are, are at war. It's at conflict with other people and with things in our lives. And so Jesus will also bring that inner peace to give our, us a sense of resolve in our soul. And he also enables relational peace. Peace with, with one another. Jesus gave us the ultimate demonstration of reconciliation at the cross. He says, all of us were separated from God. We were at war with God. There was a conflict with God. And he came and he gave his life and he laid it down and he said, this is what true reconciliation looks like. Even when you don't want, even when you don't know if you want peace or not, he came and he brought peace. He made a way for us. And so he demonstrates that. And so we get relational peace by following Jesus and saying, I demonstrate that same kind of reconciliation with, with people that I walk with, people that I know, people that I, that I do life with. And Jesus would guarantee every believer, listen to me, circumstantial peace. Whatever's going on right now, Jesus guarantees that. And 2 Peter 
It would be written according to his promise. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We know we're in this place where righteousness does not dwell in every corner, in every pocket of this world. And that comes at us. That, that, that uh, attacks the, the, the peace that Jesus brings. It causes anxiety in us. It causes worry in us. It causes fear in us. But we have a promise knowing that God is making all things new. That God is bringing all things back into right perspective for us. And so we, we walk in that promise knowing that Jesus has guaranteed that in this moment, in this season, in this time, and in the circumstance that I'm in, he has made a promise that he's going to make all of this right. And that all of these things that are, that are seeming to, to come, in, come against me or, or attacking me or, or bringing about conflict in my life, in some weird and mysterious way, God says that he's going to use that to glorify himself and he's using it for my good in some kind of way. And so, God, I'm just going to stand on that promise. If nothing else, if I can't see anything else, I'm standing on that reality. Peace is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God and it's a big deal to us. We have this hardwired reality. We were made this way to have a desire for peace. God designed us this way. And so we, we walk around this earth apart from Jesus and we're just kind of longing for that peace. We want, we want to be at peace. We want to, be, uh, to have resolve in our soul because God made us this way. And we need peace with God. Every one of us need this. This, does, this just doesn't come naturally. Like you don't, you don't inherit peace from God. It doesn't just come to you. All of us have sinned. All of us have alienated ourselves from God. And because we've done this, our fellowship with God has been broken in a real and serious way. This is, this is the unfortunate news at Christmas. But I want us to dwell on that. I want us to be reminded of that as we approach Christmas season. Yeah, it's really cool that we get to celebrate the coming of Jesus, but let's not forget why he had to come. Let's not forget that Christmas is not the ultimate reality in our lives, but Christmas is just a means to Easter. Jesus had to come because he had to pay the wage for our sin. And so we celebrate the coming because we know what's coming. We know it's coming at Easter. But let us be reminded of why he had to come. We are not at peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. We need Jesus to come. But the good news is that God has initiated this peace. That's the good news at Christmas. Through Jesus, he has made it possible. Through the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can now be at peace with him. That we can all be partakers of this peace, this promise that he's given us of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus would become the, the supreme peacemaker for all of us by sacrificing himself, his own life, that we might be at peace with God primarily, but naturally at peace with one another. And so let me ask you again, what would it take for you to be at a point where you're satisfied and at peace and could resign yourself and say, God, there's, there's not a greater gift that you can give me, and at this point you can, you can have me. What would it take for us to get there? Do you have that real peace today? Do you have that real inner peace, that resolve in your soul? I think, and I've said, I think we can agree that, that we all want peace and we all need peace. But it escapes so many of us, doesn't it? Like, right, I know when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm saying these words, at the same time I'm, he I'm hearing myself say these words in, in my anxious soul. And there's still things that I worry about, things that probably in five years won't even matter that I'm worried about today. And I know that a lot of you are in the same boat as me. So Simeon's intro should be a reminder to, to all of us 
that this genuine and internal peace has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And this is a byproduct, this peace, that we, the continuing peace that we have, it's a byproduct of just walking in righteousness, following Jesus Christ. And so peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others around us. This is a package deal, and the package is Jesus. That's how we have peace this way, who, one who would come to us humbly in a manger and begin disrupting this entire peace conflict narrative. That's who we have. And so if you're at peace with God today, if you're at peace with others today, then, then what I want to encourage you to do is just join in the song with Simeon and praise God. Praise God that he is now bringing you peace. But if you're in turmoil, if you're in conflict this morning, if, if there's things warring in your soul, I want you to hear the proclamation from Scripture that Jesus is your peace. He is the peace that you are longing for. And Simeon would go to his next verse and he would say, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So he's our salvation. Jesus is our our salvation. God has been on a mission up to this point to save his people. He has sent mediators. He has sent kings. He has sent judges. He has sent prophets. And now he sent his son. All in this this desire to come and bring us back to him. To continually point us to the truth of who he is and how he loves. And he does this ultimately by sending his very own son. Coming as a humble baby. Taking on flesh. Moving into our neighborhood, into our world to save us. And in the opening lines of of this entire story. We learn that Adam and Eve, man, they had it all. It was, it was, everything was blissful. Everything was amazing. It was literally heaven on earth. And you don't get far into the story at all before you realize that everything was shattered and broken. It's as if the, the, the fine china cabinet was just pushed over and everything was shattered and everything was broken. And ever since then, we've been trying to pick up and fix those pieces. Ever since then, we've been trying to fix this. And God sends his son into our wondering and into our toil. It's in our floundering that we have uh, been trying to save ourselves. And God says, you can't. He can. He comes to save. He comes to mend the broken. He comes to fix what has been destroyed. And Simeon would hold up Jesus and he'd say, My eyes have seen my salvation. I'm I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at the gift you've given me, God. And I want to point out something that Simeon didn't have this cynical attitude. Like so many people do. Uh, He he wasn't trying to rationalize the situation. Like he he wasn't trying to calculate the theology of salvation. Well, let's see. Is it... Is this, this God's salvation just how, how I've been taught, taught to believe? Or he, he wasn't trying to calculate all these things to see if it was real or not. He was having a personal interaction with Jesus because salvation is personal. It's a personal thing. It's, it's, it's personal because, because Jesus is a personal Savior. And so I want to ask you a question. Have you personally experienced Jesus' salvation? Have you personally for yourself experienced this or have you just simply heard about Jesus and heard about the salvation that he brings? That you come to church and you you know people and you feel like you just associate with them and you too are now saved. But I'm asking the question, have you personally 
experience this salvation that comes from Jesus. There's a big difference. I know tons of people. I know you know tons of people who say they believe in Jesus, that they have salvation in Jesus. But it's another thing, man, altogether to be personally saved by God. And you can notice a big difference in that when you, when you talk to people. And I'm, I'm just throwing the question out there. Have you experienced his salvation for you personally? You don't get to claim his salvation just by showing up here. You don't get to claim his salvation by celebrating Christmas. I know a lot of pagans who celebrate Christmas. I know a lot of people who would not name the name of Jesus as their Lord and their Savior who celebrate Christmas. So it's not by default that you get this salvation. It's a personal salvation that Jesus brings. I'm not referring to your family heritage. Well, you know what? I'm, I belong to this tribe of Christianity, and we've always belonged to this tribe of Christianity, so I'm, I'm Christian. I'm not talking about your friends who might be walking faithfully with the Lord, that you associate with them, and then you too feel like that you might be saved. But have you experienced personal salvation through Jesus Christ? It's personal, and it only comes through him. And when you encounter Jesus in this way, he changes everything. He changes everything that you're truly looking for. You may not even know exactly what you're looking for. You may not even realize that you need change, but he brings the change that you need. God is sovereignly acquainted with you. He's sovereignly acquainted with each and every one of us. And when he gives you salvation through Jesus, that longing in your heart, it's satisfied. It begins to become satisfied. The things that you are grabbing for to try to satisfy, to try to bring peace, to try to save yourself, God brings that through Jesus. And you will only experience that when you embrace Jesus, when he has personally saved you. And when he does this, your hopes change. What you hope for changes because now you have real hope. Your perspective will change when you have a saving relationship with Jesus because now you have a heavenly perspective. You're not necessarily letting everything right in front of you drive everything about who you are. You have a heavenly perspective. We're dwelling on the fact that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, that God will restore everything back to its right order. And that's the hope that we stand on. That's the perspective that we walk in. We have something and somebody worth living for. Your fear of death, it begins to change because guess what? Death no longer has the final say when you're walking with Jesus. So I can walk boldly into this world and not be afraid of death because guess what? Death doesn't have the last say. Jesus dealt with that in the grave. And when he, when he was resurrected, that was our hope that we'll walk with him for eternity and that nothing can defeat us. And I love that many biblical scholars and, and, and those who write commentaries in this section, they would aptly call this um, Simeon's song of resignation. That's what they would call the, this section, his, his song of resignation. I love that because the change that Jesus brings, it's kind of like this, this exhaling kind of change, right? Like when you, when you meet Jesus, I know whenever I experienced saving faith for the first time, it was just kind of like... It's almost like I could just put my weapons down. You know what I'm saying? It's just this exhaling, this, this freedom. It's just this, this resignation. Like it, it, I have the greatest gift now. Everything that I've been chasing after, everything that I've been longing for has been met in Jesus now. And so it was just this, this liberating feeling. And there's nothing more liberating than that to, than to resign yourself to God's saving grace and to, to rest in the finished work of Jesus. And Simeon would go on to say, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So 
Jesus brings our light. He is the light. I, this, I, I was thinking, I've got tons of stories like this, but I just thought of the most recent story where um, uh, Ashley's sister calls me one day and says, look, there's some weird things going on um, at my house. When I turn one light switch on, um, the light in the bathroom goes off, or, and this is the dining room switch. And there's all kinds of crazy things that she was explaining to me. I'm like, um, you probably just need to sell that house. Something's weird. It's like haunted or something. I don't know what's going on. So I go over there, and I kind of get some more clarification on what's going on and, and, and come to find out my brother-in-law had tried to address some issues with light switches, and he doesn't have a background in, in electricity uh, or, or any electrical work whatsoever. And so he wired some things differently, and I'm surprised the house didn't burn down. Um, and so I, I, I started kind of troubleshooting to find out exactly what was wrong. And, and, and even though I have experience, I have background as an electrician, um, it's never a good idea to work on a, on a hot circuit, on a circuit that's, that's energized, right? And so the first thing I want to do is to, uh, before I start pulling out wires and everything, is I want to go kill the power um, to start addressing some of these, some of these issues. Um, and that's kind of counterintuitive when you're trying to work on lights. But you've got to kill the circuit, and now you're kind of working in the dark. And I don't know if you know this, but... I work, you walk into a dark room and you sit there for a little while and your eyes can adjust a little bit to where you can kind of start seeing things around. And so I'm trying to work in this. I'm trying to use my phone for a light and I need both of my hands. And it's, it, 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 we've all experienced this where we can sit in a dark room and we can get a little bit of, of sight. Um, and by the way, the, the issue did get resolved and the house didn't burn down. Uh, but the point is, in the same way, in God's common grace and his common goodness, all of us are able to see just a little bit. Like all of us are able to navigate this world and see just a little bit. We all have the, the, the ability to comprehend truths about this world. We all have uh, the ability to learn things and to even master some things. And this series we've called uh, A Light Has Dawned. This is Matthew chapter 4 where Matthew is quoting Isaiah in chapter 9 where the story, For unto us a child is born, where Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Savior. Matthew would refer to to, he would reference this, um, this scripture that Isaiah prophesied. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, every one of us walking in darkness, apart from the light of Jesus that comes to us. We all have this squinty-eyed view of, of reality. We all kind of walk through, kind of feeling our way. And we can, by God's common grace, we can see just a little bit. We, we kind of have a, 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 a vision of what's going on, but without Christ, without the light of Christ, we can't see fully. We can't see clearly. And when, you, when Jesus he comes in the room and he flips on the switch, well, then now you begin to see truth from lies. You, you, you can begin to see righteousness from unrighteousness. Where these things were kind of skewed before, and you maybe believed some lives, and maybe lies, and maybe you thought that, that unrighteousness really was righteousness, and, and you didn't really have a good, clear view. But when Jesus walked in the room and flipped the switch on, when he gave us true light, we were able to see those things. We start to see things that are worth frustration, that are worth worry, and then the things that aren't, the things that really don't matter. And for centuries, the church has been reciting this. Nicene Creed, which confesses this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light. Jesus brings us light. 
He would say in, in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You'll be able to see clearly. You'll be able to distinguish between truth and lies. You'll be able to distinguish between righteousness and unrighteousness. You'll know what to worry about and what not to worry about when you're walking in the light of Jesus. John would go on to say the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And Isaiah would prophesy the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. But without the light of the Lord, we sit in mourning, we sit in darkness, we sit in, in bondage to the lies that we've believed, to the unrighteousness that we walk in apart from Jesus Christ. He is the light and in him we have God's eternal light. And there's this real possibility. And I want to say that again. Jesus is the light and in him we have God's eternal light. That might be the one thing that you needed to hear today. That might be the one thing that you needed to come into this room today and hear above all else, to hear this invitation from God, to hear him, and to step out of the darkness to say, yes, I accept the invitation. I'm walking in the light. I'm stepping out of the darkness. I'm not going to squint my eyes anymore. I'm experiencing the light of Jesus Christ to see the life that I long for, the thing that I'm at, not at peace about. It comes in the light of Christ. Simeon's song, it's a worshipful, God-glorifying song. And it reminds us that the peace that Jesus brings, it, it, it reveals that to us, that, that I can be at peace now because I'm in the presence of Jesus. I'm at peace now because I'm hearing and believing the good news of Jesus. That, that there is salvation afforded to us by what he's going to do on the cross. And in our case, what he's done on the cross. There's salvation there. And we need the light of Jesus to shine in our world. We need the light of Jesus to shine in our own dark hearts. To light up every single wicked corner of our hearts. To expose it to the light. Over the next couple of days, we're leading right into Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Tuesday's Christmas Day. This is what we need to be preoccupied with. This is, what, this is what needs to be on our hearts and on our minds. As you, as you gather with family, as these things start to unfold, as these traditions start to unfold for you today, tomorrow, this week, what would it look like for us to be preoccupied with the re these realities? Be preoccupied with the wonder and the beauty of Jesus this Christmas. May we experience the peace, may we experience the salvation and the light, and may that light rest on us, and may our, may our gaze be on Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads with me? I want to read a scripture over you, and then we're going to pray. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, 
And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Lord, that in our hopeless and desperate state that you came And all along, Father, you promised us that you were coming. That you sent voices ahead of Jesus Christ to prepare. To prepare us, to prepare the way for the coming Lord. We thank you, Father. Father, There's so many people that will say we need to be reminded, we need to remember the reason for this season. And to that I say yes and amen, Father. And the reason for this season is that we were absolutely and utterly hopeless without Jesus. And so let us all be reminded of that. Let us all be reminded that We were nowhere without Jesus. And that when you, when you brought your son into this world, Lord, you brought in peace. That every one of us in our hearts need, and in this world we need it. So Father, I thank you that Christmas does bring about an inspiration for people to get along and for people to treat one another with dignity that they deserve. God, forgive us when we make that a seasonal thing. Every single person that walks the face of this planet is made in your image. And you've called us to to love. You've called us to reach out with the peace of Jesus, with the hope of the salvation that he brings the renewal of life that he brings to us and brings to this world. And most importantly, Father, the light to shine in our dark hearts and in this dark world to show us truth and to show us what's real. So may that be the thing that has our attention and our gaze this Christmas is the fact that you sent your son as a humble sacrifice to save us who were far, far, far away from you, who wasn't even looking for you, who didn't even want you. We didn't even know what we needed, Father, but you know what we need, and you you came through on your promise, and we thank you for that. May our souls be satisfied. May we be at peace. May we be able now, as we've heard the good news and met Jesus Christ, to resign ourselves to you saying there's not a greater gift there's not anything else that's going to trump that father and so we resign ourselves to you whether you take us now or in 80 years from now father we are yours you do with us what seems good to you we love you we thank you for Christ we thank you for sending Christ we thank you for the cross that uh, was part of the plan all along Now, Father, would you have your way 
in this room, among us here in this, in this space. Would you, God, comfort those who need comfort this morning. God, would you show your supernatural peace in, in, in our conflicting hearts, in our worrying hearts, in our anxious hearts. Would you, would you begin to calm us through your son Jesus and the reality that he is the prince of peace and that through the spirit you give us the gift of, of peace. Lord, the salvation that we look on, Jesus Christ, may that be a reality in this room this morning, that we all walk out of here knowing that we have, we have seen your salvation, we have received the light that comes through Jesus Christ. And may we begin to walk in a righteous way, in a God-honoring, obedient way. Father, I know that that's the best way to honor you during this season is to walk in what you've called us to walk in, to be obedient to what you've called us to. So may we be found faithful, and may you be glorified, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.